Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to Prairie View Christian Church. I'm glad you've chosen to worship here with us this morning. I hope you and your family had a safe and merry Christmas, especially if you were able to attend the Christmas Eve service here. We're glad that you were able to make it to that. And I definitely hope that regardless of whether or not you were here on Christmas Eve, that at some point in this crazy week that is Christmas, you had some opportunity to get away from all the noise all the chaos to maybe go outside between going to one family's house and the next family's house and the next family's house and then going to the store to buy batteries for the toys that you then have to go home and put together. I hope that at some point in the midst of that craziness, you were able to step out and think a little bit about what Christmas is all about. Think a little bit about what we talked about in Luke chapters one and two in our God with us series. The idea that God would become man in the form of Jesus, that Jesus was 100 percent God and 100 percent man at the same time, that he would live among sinners like us, live a perfect life, a blameless life, and then die the death that he did not deserve, that we deserved. He died a sacrificial death, a spotless lamb, paying the debt that we could never pay, but then being resurrected from the grave. And these are the things that we celebrate every single week as followers of Christ. Whether it's Christmas, whether it's Easter, whether it's any other Sunday of the year, that's what it all comes back to. Now today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're not starting a new sermon series. We're doing that next week. Next week, we're going to start in 1 John. And 1 John is one of those books that you'll read it at times as a follower of Christ, and John will say something, and you'll think to yourself, now John can't really mean that, can he? Well... Yes, he kind of does. It's a challenging book, it's a convicting book, but we're going to start that next week. In the meantime today, I want to talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions. I'm sure, just like pretty much everybody else, we all have New Year's resolutions of some sort. There are the traditional common ones about, oh, I want to lose weight, I want to be better with my money, I want to travel. Maybe somebody wants to go back to school and finish that degree they never finished. We all have these individual New Year's resolutions, but the thing is, if we're really honest with ourselves, I'm not trying to be discouraging here, there's a good chance that we'll fail at our New Year's resolutions. Because the first two weeks of January, we'll dive in headfirst, and then within two weeks, we'll be burnt out. And then May or June will roll around, and we'll realize, you know, I have really dropped the ball on that New Year's resolution I made. But that doesn't mean we don't make them. I still think it's a good thing to make resolutions. Anytime we have the opportunity to challenge ourselves to try something new or to improve upon something that we've been doing or maybe make a positive change in our lives, I think we should take it. It's a good thing, even if we know that a lot of the time we might not be able to maintain it for 12 months. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to talk so much about individual resolutions today. I want to talk about resolutions that we could make as a church for 2014. If we as a body of believers decided that we wanted to do some things differently or improve some things or keep doing some good things in 2014, what would they be? Now, if we went around the room and asked people that, we'd probably get a million different answers. Some people would say that we need to stop doing this thing over here. Some people would say that we need to start doing this thing over here. And then some people would say that we need to change something that we're already doing. We'd get all these different answers, but today I want to propose three New Year's resolutions for our church that I think we can all agree on. 
I think we can agree that these would be valuable things for us to continue doing or rededicate ourselves to doing. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. And when we are done praying, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. But will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all of your grace that, that we could never deserve, that just overflows. God, thank you for your patience, your mercy. But God, thank you for your justice and your holiness. God, I pray that we will worship you for every aspect of who you are, that we will be more and more humbled every single day that you sent your son to die for us. God, I pray that will change every aspect of our lives, that it won't just become one little compartment of our lives, but rather that fact will shape everything we say and everything we do. God, we love you. We give you the glory. We thank you for Christ, and we ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, open up with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use one of the Bibles underneath the chair in front of you or to your right, to your left. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today. But Acts chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 1, a passage about Peter and John. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So Peter and John are arrested. But what exactly did they do to get arrested in the first place? Well, for that, we have to go back to Acts chapter 3. It all started one afternoon as Peter and John are walking to the temple. And as they're walking into the temple, they notice a guy who's been crippled from birth. He's never been able to walk. The guy's begging for alms, anything people will give him. Maybe it's change, maybe it's food, maybe it's a drink of water, just anything that people can offer him. He hasn't been able to provide for himself. People don't think he can contribute in any way when it comes to goods and services. So this is his only option for survival. Peter and John see this guy. He begs them for something, and they give him something greater than what he was asking for. They give him the ability to walk. Peter looks at the guy. He reaches his hand out to the guy, and for the first time in this man's life, he stands up. He leaps, he skips, he jumps, he runs, he praises God that he can finally walk. This is a guy that many people had probably seen every day for years. They know that he's no hoax. They know that he's not faking it. And yet here he is, all of a sudden, walking, jumping, praising God. Now naturally, this would gather a bit of an audience. This is a pretty big deal for the people who see him every single day. And Peter uses that opportunity to preach Christ to this big audience. He says some pretty offensive things, if you were a Jewish person in the audience. He says that they're guilty for killing the author of life. He says that they acted in ignorance, that they need to repent, that they acted in wickedness. Some people are very, very offended by it. In particular, a group named the Sadducees are very offended by it. A group of religious leadership And they would have been offended by it for a couple different reasons. Number one, they're in charge of the temple rituals. 
And so any kind of disturbance in the typical everyday life of the temple is probably going to ruffle their feathers a little bit. It might throw things off on the temple schedule. It might cause a little bit of chaos compared to how things normally function. Nice and neat and clean. But on top of that, they simply don't agree with what Peter is saying. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and yet Peter is saying that Jesus was resurrected. The Sadducees don't want to hear any of it. They're tired of hearing it, and so they arrest Peter and John. It's late in the day, and so Peter and John spend a night in jail. And the next day, they're brought before a few different people. They're brought before some of the key religious leaders in the area. But they're also brought before a guy named Caiaphas. If you know anything about the trial of Jesus, Caiaphas might ring a bell. Caiaphas is one of the guys who played an absolutely key role in Jesus being sentenced to death. And that really wasn't all that long ago. Caiaphas may have been thinking at that time, you know, this movement of these people who are following Jesus and talking about Jesus, it'll probably end now that the guy's dead. They'll look at it and they'll say, you know what, that was great while it lasted, but now it's over. Let's move on. Let's go back to regular life as we know it. But here we are, weeks later, and this Jesus thing is still gaining steam. And Caiaphas is probably wondering, what do I have to do to just squelch this movement once and for all? Well, the movement is growing, and there's not anything that Caiaphas can do about it. Look at what we see in verse 7, the response of these people that Peter and John are standing before. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter basically preaches the exact same sermon that got him arrested in the first place. He's either really, really brave or really, really dumb. And what's interesting about Peter is that this guy who's sticking his neck out there, who's staring down the people who arrested him and not backing down off of anything he said, and in fact stating it even stronger than he did before, this is the same guy who weeks earlier was scared to admit to a little girl around a campfire. That he knew who Jesus was. What's changed with Peter? It's almost as if he's seen a resurrection. The people are blown away by what they hear. That Jesus is the cornerstone. That he's the only name by which we must be saved. And look at their response in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The guys can't believe what it is that they're hearing. They're absolutely amazed that Peter has this boldness to say what he's saying. And here's the thing. 
they have no case against Peter. He didn't do anything illegal. There's nothing illegal about healing a crippled man. But on top of that, they can't prove that anything that Peter is saying is wrong. You know, the religious leaders could have ended all the controversy, could have ended all the chaos, could have ended all the rumors, and all they had to do was produce a body. If they could have just gone to the temple and dragged Jesus' body out and said, Look, people, the guy's dead. He's not coming back to life. Here he is. Poke him. Touch him. Do whatever you got to do. But he's dead. So move on. Get over it. But guess what? There's no body to be found. It's not that the body was stolen. It's not that the body was somehow destroyed. The body simply isn't there. Because the body has been resurrected. This movement isn't going to die anytime soon. Because there's a resurrection behind it. Jump forward to verse 17. The people have to do something to get Peter and John to maybe be quiet about this, even though they don't have a case. Verse 17. But in order that they may spread it no more further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Verse 18. So they called them and dragged them, charged them not to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John effectively tell the guys that, hey, you know what? You can threaten us all you want, but we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. You may want us to stop talking. You may say that we're crazy. You may threaten us, but we're not going to stop talking about this because we can't help but talk about this. When you've seen what we've seen, you would talk about it too, is what Peter and John are saying. Again, the religious leaders have no case. What can they say? What can they do? They can't say or do anything. Thus, Peter and John return to their fellow believers. They get together. They celebrate the fact that they were able to preach Christ. They celebrate the fact that more people came to believe in Christ. And then they pray. And look at the end of their prayer in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Did you pick up on the word that was repeated three different times? Verse 13, verse 29, verse 31. That word is boldness. That brings us to the first resolution I would propose for Prairie View Christian Church in 2014. That we would continue to preach Christ with boldness. Continue to do it fearlessly. Not worried about the threats. Not worried about how we may be labeled. People may say that we're extremists. People may think that we're just going through some little religious phase that will eventually die. But I pray that we continue to preach Christ fearlessly and shamelessly. No matter what the consequences of that may be. I pray that it's something that doesn't just happen here on Sunday mornings. It doesn't just happen on weeknights in small groups, but it happens everywhere each one of us goes. 
I pray that all of us preach Christ boldly in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our gyms, everywhere we go. We shamelessly preach the word of Christ, no matter what the reactions are going to be, no matter what kind of opposition or criticism we may face, that we will continue to be bold. If you want to see an example of boldness, look in Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 19, a guy named Paul. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. If there's one guy who has the credibility to talk about tribulations, it's the guy who just got stoned. But look at what Paul does to sum up this passage here. Paul, literally, people try to kill him. They think he's dead. They drag him out of the city. They leave him for dead. And what does the guy do? He gets up and he goes back into the city. The city where the people are that just tried to kill him. He leaves the next day and then he goes to the cities that those people came from and preaches there and teaches there. What kind of boldness does that show? It shows a complete lack of concern for his own safety. It shows a complete lack of concern for the threats that he faces. He knows that these people will try to kill him. He knows these people will oppose him, but he keeps preaching anyway, boldly, courageously, not worrying about the repercussions of what will happen. What would it look like if every single day, one of us, wherever it is that we go on a typical day, preached Christ boldly, not just with our words, but with our actions? What kind of impact would that have? I think it would have an incredible impact. Jump forward to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. We're going to look at the second resolution for Prairie View in 2014. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The people in the early church, in this passage, Luke says that they had one heart and one soul. They were a unified church. And for 2014, my second resolution is that we too would be a unified church. That we would have one heart and one soul. And in spite of all of our differences, in spite of all of our quirks, in spite of all of our different interests, that we would have one thing in common. And that's Christ. And we would rally around that in everything we do. We would take our stand on that around everything else. That we would truly learn to love one another. And truly learn to appreciate one another more and more every single day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian from Germany in the mid-1900s, wrote this in his book, Life Together. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God 
in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. I pray that you and I will pray and hope for a unified church, for fellowship that we truly treasure, for fellowship that we truly adore in every single aspect. I pray that we won't just be fellow churchgoers, that we'll be family that we'll be friends, that we'll see each other outside of this building from 10 to 11.30 a.m. one day a week. I pray that we'll truly become brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there are a few ways that we could probably improve upon this, and I have a few ideas, three of them. Number one, if you're a member of Prairie View Christian Church and you see someone on a Sunday morning that you don't know, talk to them. Introduce yourself to them. Don't worry about the fact that you're offended that they haven't come and introduced yourself themselves to you yet. Introduce yourself to them. Every single one of us, including me, including our elders, including Jeff, all of us, we have room to improve upon that. Getting to know one another. Learning about one another. All of these things. Proposal number two. If you have a free weeknight, get in a small group. Like Joshua mentioned earlier during the welcome time, talk to myself, talk to him, talk to one of the other elders, talk to Jeff. Find a small group that works on a night for you with people that you just might get along with if you give them a shot. Get together with those people. Pray together. Read the word together. Serve together. Play together. Have fun together. Increase the unity of our church through that way. And then the third one, and this one might seem a little bit extreme, If you are in this church and you are holding some sort of grudge against someone else in this church, work it out. Get over it. Whatever it is that caused the problem, whatever kind of disagreement you had, talk it out and move on. And stop holding that grudge with one another. Instead, choose to love one another. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends. It doesn't mean you have to start hanging out four times a week, but it does mean that you need to get the elephant out of the room because we will never be the united body that we should be if we're holding grudges against one another. How in the world can we reach out to those who don't know Christ outside of this church if we can't even reconcile within this church? I pray that we will be a united church, more united than we have ever been before in 2014. Look at... Verse 34, the third resolution I'm going to propose. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The first resolution was that we would preach Christ boldly. The second resolution would be that we would be a united church. And the third resolution is that we would be a generous church. Generous in the sense that we take care of one another. Generous in the sense that we give to anyone within the church, anyone who has need. If we become aware of a family in our church that has some sort of need that we can meet, meet it. If you're a part of this church and you ever come into a situation where you're in need of help, don't be scared to talk to us. We can keep you anonymous if you'd like. We can do anything we can 
to help meet that need for you as a church. Now, when we talk about generosity, people's warning signals kind of start going up and they think, oh, great, the preacher's going to talk about giving money. And if you came into it thinking that's what this was going to be about today, there are a lot of churches that use the New Year's Day sermon to talk about giving money. So relax, that's not the main point of the sermon today. But generosity certainly does have a financial aspect to it. We absolutely need people who are willing to give to help make sure the ministries here at Prairie View Christian Church keep going, to help make sure that the bills are paid, the doors are open, that we can continue serving and loving one another and serving and loving our community. But generosity goes deeper than just finances. Look at chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, this sounds kind of revolutionary. It sounds kind of new, yet really it isn't. In Deuteronomy, we read that we are called to meet one another's needs, to serve one another, to help those in our brotherhood, in our body of Christ, who have needs, who aren't making the ends meet, who aren't able to pay their bills. We're challenged to do that, not just in Acts, but in the Old Testament too. But as you look at Barnabas, he's someone who is generous with more than just finances. In Acts chapter 9, he vouches for Paul. Paul, this new convert who used to be a persecutor of Christians, Barnabas has his back when other Christians don't really know whether or not to trust this guy. Barnabas teaches with Paul in Acts chapter 11. He gives not just of his finances, but he gives of his skills. And then in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas serves in Cyprus. He gives more than just finances. He gives his skills. He gives his time. He sticks his neck out there for the sake of the gospel. And I pray that every single one of us will be willing to do the same thing. If we were a church where everyone gave financially, but no one was willing to serve, we'd be in pretty bad shape. In the same way, if we were a church where everyone was wanting to give their time and their skills, but no one was willing to part with their pocketbook, we'd be in bad shape then, too. I pray that we can be generous in every aspect of life. I pray that we can share with one another generously, that we can give to those outside generously, doing it all for the glory of Christ. Giving God the credit for everything that happens here. I pray that we can be bold. I pray that we can be united. And I pray that we can be generous. You know, we won't be perfect. Just like our individual resolutions, there are times that we might mess up. There are times that we might fall short. But it doesn't mean that we don't make the resolutions. I pray that in 2014... We will strive to be the kind of church more and more every single day that God calls us to be. Not for our glory, not so we can continue getting bigger numbers, but rather for God's glory. However, I will say this. I think if we can somehow harness this power of the Spirit that the early church had, this power of the Spirit that gave Peter and John the courage and the boldness to speak Christ, if we can somehow be united the way they were, even though later in the book of Acts they wouldn't be perfect, if we can somehow be generous the way these people were, 
I believe big things will happen here at Prairie View. In Acts chapter 1, the number of believers is around 120. In Acts chapter 2, it then jumped to 3,000. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, it jumps to 5,000. We're not just about numbers. Some churches only care about getting more butts in the seats on Sunday mornings. But that's not the main mission here. Our main mission is to glorify God. If in the meantime, we grow like that, great. If we don't grow like that, but we're continuing to serve faithfully, that's okay too. But I pray that we'll have these three resolutions. I pray that we'll be bold. I pray that we'll be united. And I pray that we'll be generous. And with the Holy Spirit behind us, we might be able to do more than we realize. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you that he has become the cornerstone. Thank you that the religious leaders don't have a case against Peter and John because the tomb is empty. And God, I pray that as we realize this truth, as we see that empty tomb, that we'll understand that what we're doing is not in vain. I pray that we'll be challenged and convicted more and more to speak more and more about what we have seen and heard. I pray that we'll always keep in mind that 2014 is not about growing a big church. It's not about increasing numbers. It's not about continuing to gather up finances. It's about glorifying you. And God, whatever that brings with it, we'll take it. I pray that we'll preach you boldly, regardless of the consequences, regardless of how we're labeled, regardless of how we're opposed, that we won't back down from that. I pray that we'll be united. I pray that we will love one another selflessly here within our four walls. I pray that the quarrels and the grudges that may exist, God, I pray those will be eliminated and that we'll instead learn to love one another and bear with one another in spite of our flaws and in spite of our issues. And God, I pray that we'll be generous. We have been given so much. You have blessed us with so much. Your grace should just leave us in awe every single day. And I pray that as we look at that grace, we will be more challenged than ever before to show that kind of grace to the world around us. God, I pray that we'll do these things for your glory. Not giving ourselves the credit, not celebrating our own accomplishments, but rather celebrating what it is that you can do through us and in spite of us. God, we love you. We give you all the honor, all the glory. We thank you for Christ, the cornerstone. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. In that passage, we read that there's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved, and that is the name of Christ. And if you have not come to know that name, if you have not placed your faith in that name, we'd like to give you the opportunity to do so this morning. There's going to be elders standing at the side of the room. They'd be happy to talk to you. They'd be happy to pray with you. They'd be happy to answer any questions you have about our church. We hope you'll take advantage of that.